HEC Breakthroughs. A knowledge at HEC Podcast. Hi everyone and welcome to HEC Breakthroughs, your monthly podcast by the Knowledge at HEC team. Breakthroughs highlight some of the best of the research coming out of our business school, as well as its impact on society at large. I'm Daniel Brown, the school's head of communications for research. Today I talked to one of HEC's new research stars. He recently completed a doctorate to add to the engineering degree he bagged at École Centrale. His personal commitment to diversity and inclusion has led him to leave his native Cameroon and plunge into management and governance. He is... So my name is Aniset Fangwa. I'm uh, recently graduated from the PhD program at HEC Paris in the Strategy and Business Policy Department. I'm doing research on sustainability, corporate governance of non-profit organizations and how those governance mechanisms can actually help those organizations to have a stronger uh, contribution toward the attainment of the sustainable development goals. I can now understand the challenges. Zainab Bangura, UN Special Representative on Sexual Violence in Conflict. Why it's so difficult for Africa to catch up. Whatever else we may have or we may do. Olusegun Obusanjo, ex-president of Nigeria. If uh, governance is not taken care of, uh, it will amount to not much. If your pillar of your development are the people... Agnes Binaguaho, Minister of Health in Rwanda. Then you reduce poverty. Because the majority of the people in Africa are poor. So you target the majority. You have to find partners you can work with. Malcolm Bruce, Chair of the UK Parliamentary Select Committee on International Development. Some countries, frankly, it's very difficult. In which case you have to go through civil society partners, maybe local, maybe international. But the objective in the end is to try and build the capacity in those countries to solve their own problems, to create economic growth that can fund tax base that will deliver health and education and all those other things. As we've just heard, the challenges for sustainable development in Africa are legion. And they range from climate change to poverty and desertification. All these have a huge negative impact on health on a continent where over 300 million people don't have access to safe drinking water. This was one of the many issues that drew Cameroonian researcher Anise Fangwa to addressing the health crisis. Being an engineer wasn't enough, and he's devoted the past six years to management and governance to see how these can positively impact those 17 SDG goals the UN set out in 2016. Anise sailed through the final stages of his PhD here at HEC and he's currently working as a researcher and lecturer at the Institute for Society and Organizations, or SNO. Last month we sat down for a wide-ranging discussion on his research which has focused on managerial practices in rural health centers in the Democratic Republic of Congo. HEC Breakthroughs and he said, Fangwa, a real pleasure to have a doctor in my office because, as you said earlier, you recently got your PhD. Doctor has two meanings, uh, at least. One is a medical practitioner and the other is for people who've succeeded in one of academia's most grueling exercises, obtaining a PhD. Usually uh, between five and seven years, you did it in six years of intense work. 
and you just succeeded. You defended your dissertation in December of 2022. Um, how does it feel? Uh, it feels great. <laughs> the PhD journey is quite a journey uh, where you learn about yourself, but you also have a deep understanding of a topic of interest. And for me, it has been mind-opening because I had the chance to work in engineering before and in consulting with a, a top consulting firm. And working on my PhD dissertation actually opened my eyes about what contribution I can have to the world, uh, like real contribution, and gave me the opportunity to actually have a say on different policy and on different uh, topics like healthcare and how to actually use my competences to promote a better world. And doctor is an appropriate term because uh, your field of research is actually comprised of three essays that are centered on healthcare. The first one is the social value of creation through governance in nonprofit organizations. We'll come back to that. Then there's the, the second one, which is women in boardrooms in the same Democratic Republic of Congo. And the third is hybrid organizations and purposefulness. I'd like to focus on the one which has just been accepted, and congratulations for that. The one on social value creation through governance in nonprofits and hybrid organizations to address grand challenges. Could you break that title down? For sure. First of all, uh, I will start with grand challenges. Uh, those grand challenges is basically uh, topics and issues which has been recognized at a world level for which solving those issues can actually generate progress for humanity in general. So you have issues like infant mortality, you have issues like uh, climate change, and those grand challenges are kind of parallel but not completely similar to sustainable development goals defined by the UN into 17 different topics. So those are quite parallel. And those grand challenges, most of them include social value creation. And by that, we mean value which uh, is generated and which will not be captured by one individual or one organization, but by the society as a whole. Uh, and, and health outcome, for, for example, is, is a great example of social value creation in the sense that one human being who is healthy is more beneficial to the entire society because of his work capability, because of the income that he will generate, because of the ideas and maybe the enterprises that he will be able to launch. So one healthy baby or one healthy person is definitely a plus for the entire community. And you decided to focus your research uh, and your fieldwork, especially on the Democratic Republic of Congo. Why choose this country, uh, which has unfortunately become notorious for its chronic instability and where healthcare is chronically understaffed and underfunded? Actually, I was born in Africa, in Cameroon, and a DRC for, for me has always been this huge country full of possibility, but which is also characteristic of Africa in general, in the sense that full of resources, but regal with uh, crisis, war, and, and instability, which disable this very uh, highly potential uh, country to actually reach stability and wealth. 
And for me, studying GRC was actually a way to study Africa in general. So for me, it represents Africa in miniature. And the idea is to have solution knowing that if it works there, it will definitely be able to work everywhere else in Africa. The healthcare in the DRC has a kind of pyramid structure uh, where there's the government and uh, several NGOs and NPOs, non-profit organizations, who fund and control public healthcare and, and its system. And your focus looks at this non-profit organization side of it and how management practices can impact on the running of these centers. You say that management practices in this context are as relevant as economic logic to improve healthcare. What do you mean? I mean that when we try to address uh, a particular topic, most of the time as economists, we tend to try to develop policy and financial aid that will actually improve the amount of resources available to address this particular issue. But what I'm trying to say is basically that there's a behavioral component uh, to the aid that is basically how the recipient, the beneficiary of, of this aid can actually better grasp the fund that has been uh, put at his disposal generate much more value out of this fund. The question came to my mind by look at, uh, looking at the fact that each and every year, billion and billion of dollars are invested in developing and low-income countries, but the improvement and the advance in terms of impact of those funds uh, is quite limited. And I really wanted to investigate why. Why is it that each and everywhere billions of dollars are invested, but we still have so limited impact? And I look at the behavioral component and basically how the, the, the recipient of those funds actually behave, the routines that they put in place, the practices that they implement, and how those practices can actually enable them to benefit from the fund that they receive or to actually not benefit from them. And this particular project is really highly relevant for that research because one of the key takeaways that we have is that funding is complementary to good governance in the sense that if you only put funds uh, inside uh, the, the health centers, what we see is that they improve the volume of their activity. They are, they are able to serve much more people and deliver much more drugs and all those stuff. But the quality of their service is not improved at all. It's quite similar to those which are outside of the program and did not receive any aid. But when you put those funds in parallel with good management practices, auditing, feedbacks, and the, the commitment to actually change the behavior of uh, the recipient of the fund, we see an improved both in, in quantity, the volume of, uh, of service delivered, but also in quality. And we measure this quality of the service by the infant mortality rate, the reduction of the infant mortality rate, which is quite significant because we find that uh, over a period of four years, we are able to uh, reduce by almost 50% the, the, the mortality rate. The Democratic Republic of Congo is vast, with abundant resources. But persistent conflict, high population growth and slow economic progress have caused living standards to decline year after year. Today, three out of four Congolese live on less than $2 a day. 
but a new social contract may be emerging. All engagements will focus on empowering women and girls and reducing gender-based violence so women can play their rightful role in the country's development. Now is the time to leverage new momentum to improve the lives of DRC's 90 million people. And he said, Fangwai, give us a bit more details about the management practices that you are suggesting in these healthcare centers. Yeah, typically what has been done by the World Bank and most of the international donors was basically to just give from the 90s up to the early 2000s. But they find that those type of approach was not really significant. And a new technique uh, emerged, which was called performance-based financing, PBF, in which they actually tie the amount of money they give to the, to the health center to the performance of this health center. So they, there's this new wave of uh, PBF setting or design for AIDS that has been emerging since the early 2010. But those practices has kept on improving uh, because of the different feedback that they had uh, from the different implementation. And, and for this particular uh, project, what was uh, at the center is to be able to couple a regular audit of the health centers where a team of experts trained by the World Bank actually come to the health center and investigate not only their register, but also go back to the village to make sure that what the health centers say they have been doing is actually what the villager has have received. So this will cut out, for example, the, the problems of corruption? Definitely. It will cut out corruption and require a much better accountability uh, for the for the health center but in addition to those audits they also had a, a feedback in the sense that uh, the health center may be faced with a certain type of issue that they are not able to solve because they do not have the managerial techniques or the managerial expertise and those auditing uh, experts are also there to actually train them by providing them with feedbacks in order to improve the quality of the management of the, the health center. At the same time, they have a, a precise set of guidelines that they provide to the health center right from the beginning, where they raise the awareness to different type of issue that the health center must solve. For example, hygiene, which was not necessarily the main priorities of some of those health centers at the beginning, but because of the guideline, they were obliged to have uh, some sanitaries and have uh, uh, running water, uh, and, and they receive funds to actually make sure that, that they have uh, running electricity as well. So those type of uh, non-medical uh, infrastructure. Uh, infrastructure that they were not focusing on uh, was also part of the program to increase the quality of the service that is delivered. So uh, in, in addition to those audit and funding, we also have the, what we call the pro-social incentive, which is basically uh, uh, an heritage from the PBF, which is uh, being able to tie the amount of uh, aid that they receive to the performance that they have. So this generates uh, inside the, the management of the health center a really great incentive to actually deliver more service. Yeah. 
Anisad Fangwa, you mentioned the World Bank, one of the Bretton Woods institutions that have been so central to these kind of programs. And your source, um, in terms of data, was this uh, PDSS program. Uh, it was a five-year nationwide program that began in 2017 in over 150 health districts, uh, 26 provinces of this enormous country, a quarter of the size of the United States. There you looked at this, uh, this huge database. How did you work on it? Um, first of all, I would like to be thankful to a company called Blue Square, which is basically the data manager of this program, uh, which is assisting the World Bank to, to manage those data. And they, they were uh, kind enough to actually train me in using the proper tools to actually have access to those data, which is DHIS2, which is a very specific tool for healthcare data management. And I was lucky enough to uh, to have also the chance to go to DRC, uh, where I met uh, the, the director of this program, who also uh, granted me the, the proper accreditation to actually use those data. And one of the issues that I really want to raise is the fact that studying Africa in general is really complex because of the issue of access to data. They do not have a proper data management uh, program and most of the time, the data are either not stored or lost or, or simply not reliable. But for this program, uh, Blue Square with the World Bank and with the Ministry of Health of, in Democratic Republic of Congo did a very great job in, in handling and storing the data. And we were able to have access from, uh, to data from 2016, so one year before the beginning of the program, up until 2020 and 21, when we started the, the, the project and the analysis, yes. And the sample you looked at came out of a 1,000 health centers. Two-thirds were in the treatment group, uh, and then you had a third that was in the control group. The health centers are dotted along the most populous regions, rural regions of Congo in the center in, in the southeast part. And of those six years of work on this project, uh, you spent a small time, uh, almost a month, yeah. in the DRC, um, essentially in the equator region, uh, province, uh, and Kinshasa. What challenges did you face and what were you going for? I was going to have a live experience about what's going on on the field. Uh, and I actually had to sneak in uh, the country because at the time it was COVID and DRC was also facing a war crisis in the east and there were also a minor Ebola crisis uh, in the east region of the country as well so I took the risk to go. Uh, I limited my trip to Kinshasa and, and one uh, city in the equator region uh, where I was able to discuss with some representative of this program and also to discuss with some local uh, uh, health workers and have a better sense of what's going on because my study is mostly quantitative analysis, but I definitely needed some qualitative information to have a better sense of what's going on. So I had the chance to do like 20 interviews and to come back with, with those, yeah. And he said, Fangwa, the DRC is one of the most uh, traumatized nations uh, of uh, the past 200 years, if not more, uh, with a terrible amount of human casualties. In, in this extreme uh, instability and 
challenging area where the uh, extremes of poverty and wealth are, are, are there to see and are exploited uh, in a ruthless way, often by exterior forces. The, the health issues must have been something that's uh, had some reflection of these extreme conditions. How does that impact on uh, your research in all the, the fact that it is such an unstable and, and um, tragic country? Yeah, it, it, it definitely has an impact because uh, this is exactly what I wanted to, to, to look at because uh, DSCs most of the time represent like the worst case scenario of a very uh, wealthy in terms of uh, soil resources country, but at the same time uh, badly managed and with the local population suffering uh, from those resources instead of benefiting from them. And for me... One of the key dimensions where change can uh, arise is basically healthcare. Because one, once a human being is healthy, he can tackle other issues like uh, education, politics, and therefore change the nation overall. That's why I was focusing on healthcare and, and see how uh, good governance can actually make sure, uh, improve the quality of healthcare in for the local population. And the results you know, in your analysis and research are really impressive. Uh, there's a sharp drop in uh, stillbirths and in prenatal deaths, which are uh, unfortunately alarmingly high. So in a nutshell, what have been the results? Yeah, definitely. Uh, to, to better understand the result, we need to, to present the, the, the situation first. Uh, DRC is actually one of the worst countries to be born in with an infant mortality rate of 70 for every 1,000 births. Meanwhile, in the U.S. or in France, it is 0.4 deaths for 1,000 births. So like more 140 than. times more. And what our result actually presents is basically that over a four-year period of time, we are able to show uh, that the implementation of good managerial practices and governance mechanism basically reduced by about 40% the probability of infant mortality rate just by improving the quality of the management. It does not require hiring new medical doctors. It does not require uh, improving the, the, the medical training of the health worker in place just by putting in place correct managerial practices, and pouring in also uh, relevant funding because there's also this, this dimension, uh, we see that the probability of death uh, for infant and for uh, stillbirth as well because the WHO has proven that most of the, the infant death and all, most of the stillbirth are just due to the fact that most women during their pregnancy do not follow the process, which has already been formalized by the WHO. We know what to do. We know what needs to be done. But people did not have the, the good behaviors, like I mentioned at the beginning, to actually follow those, uh, this protocol and make sure that the, the women arrive at the end, at the delivery, having been properly followed all over their pregnancies. So how has the World Bank responded, uh, Anise Fangwa? Uh, so far, they were very interested. The different person with whom I discussed from the World Bank, but the World Bank as an institution hasn't reached out to us yet. And, and they do have a different focus, don't they? Because for them, the onus is on outputs. Yeah. And for you, it's outcome, yeah. the health. 
Exactly. So they might be a bit resistant to your proposals on better managerial skills or practices. Yeah, I, I, maybe. We have different focus and it is understandable because their objective at the beginning of the program were only to improve the quantity of service delivery. And in that regard, they, they succeeded, right? Because both the control and the treated group increased significantly the, the quantity of service delivered. But I was more concerned about the quality and the health outcome at the end of the bottom line because uh, I was more concerned about the people. I was more concerned about how uh, all this money has a significant impact. And in that sense, it forces me to actually look not at the output, but at the outcome and, see, and be able to see whether or not the quality of life is improved at the end of the day. But so far, I had no pushback from the World Bank and all the different experts with whom I discussed were very, very, very thrilled that I was, we were able to do this research and have those type of results. HEC Breakthroughs, a knowledge at HEC podcast. My name is Dr. Maggie Mwaka. Our health financing is already um, in a broken state. And then we have private uh, organizations coming in to fund us. So how do we make sure we hold these parties accountable to make sure that the resources, prioritization and utilization is effective? So in conclusion, good governance and financial subsidies can bring a big social impact, especially in resource-constrained environments, including and this is what you suggest uh, also, in more economically developed countries like France yeah. uh, or Britain. Can you uh, tell us how you envisage bringing in uh, these kind of more impoverished and challenged parts of uh, our countries, this uh, managerial skills to better health care? All organizations need good management. And the key takeaway of our research is basically that with good management, we can help the organization give the best of what it has before trying to change who is working there and what uh, qualification they have. So without additional medical training and without changing the employees or adding new employees, we are able to help them give the best of themselves and be motivated and be committed and, and deliver high-quality services. And this can be implemented all over the world, and especially in area in France where there is a shortage of, of medical presence. Uh, and and in those places, I think that our uh, findings can actually enable the local healthcare services to deliver more uh, to the local population because they will be better incentivize and, and better organize and focus on the key services or on the key practices that actually uh, generate much more uh, impact on the healthcare of the population. So are you actively working or uh, collaborating or researching these managerial practices here in the poorer areas of this country or others? Right now, no. Uh, no, because there's so much more to do in Africa and I really wanted not to be dispersed. And my, my focus right now is more about looking at those same type of managerial practices in other countries in Africa. And I have a project which is ongoing where I try to have this longitudinal study 
uh, over the past 10 years in, in about 12 countries in Africa, how the, uh, the performance of the health facilities actually uh, evolve over time and whether or not they benefit from aid that they receive over the time. In today's Grand Angle, we talk about women's leadership and women leaders from Rwanda, the DRC and Gabon were asked to share their different experiences as big business experts. Take a look. Africa holds the world record for female entrepreneurship with 27 of women entrepreneurs according to the latest figures published by the International Solidarity Organization Women in Africa. They represent half of the African population and produce 62% of the economic goods, with only 8.5% of the women employees. According to some women, Africa attracts and fascinates. These enterprising women want to go further and they do not hide their ambitions, extending and varying their activities higher amidst enormous challenges. Nevertheless, there has been a significant improvement in women's access to decision-making positions, but the problem of accessing finance remains a challenge. And he said, Fangwa, your second of three papers that you presented at your PhD was an equally fascinating one. It concerns women in the boardroom and the impact on the organization's effectiveness in the same setting, and that is in the DRC, where gender inequality is, is a real issue. It's one of the most uh, unequal countries in the world in terms of men-women parity. Could you set the picture for yes, us? Sure. The picture is that, like you mentioned, DRC is a very patriarchal country where women do not have much to say in the organization of the, 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 the society in general. And yet we were lucky to find some health centers where, which were led by women. Without all the employee being women. So we have some men working under the leadership of, of some women. And the intriguing question that I had was, since this program is targeted to maternal health care, do women have a better understanding of what's going on and therefore are able to, to deliver higher quality? The real takeaway of this, of this second paper is basically that Women do deliver higher quality services in those health centers that they, de uh, they, they lead, but they do it through interesting means because the current literature suggests that whenever women uh, come uh, to a, an organization or a, a group, they tend to be more collaborative, tend to actually uh, engage more in discussion and be able to generate much more interaction between the different groups. But what I find is basically the opposite because due to this highly patriarchal society where women are actually not intended to lead, in this in situation where they are actually uh, expected to lead, first of all, external audience expect them to fail. And second of all, men under her do not necessarily express a certain form of resentment toward her leadership. And because of that, she tends to actually reduce the number of interaction with the leading group. And they tend to reduce the number of meetings and decide alone on topics like finances and, and be able to be more top-down, rely more on the top-down management instead of a collaborative management in this specific area. And we, we did a, I did a lot of additional analysis to better measure whether or not uh, this is really the, the real mechanism. And I see that 
in groups where you have a higher proportion of female uh, leaders under the leadership of a woman, those groups tend to meet more often and also to perform better. But in groups where you have a female leader with a higher proportion of male employees, actually what happens is that those groups meet less and they perform also better than all male, but lesser than when the, there's women and women uh, in interacting. One of the key takeaways uh, that I had from one interview was really, really high-opening in the sense that the female CEO of the organization actually catch one of the male employee into uh, unethical behavior. And instead of, uh, of reporting him and then having him dismiss, she simply decided to avoid meeting with him because if she has this direct conflict, uh, the society will side with the man instead of her. But at the same time, she needs to protect the quality of the organization. So she tend to put him aside in a sense, but at the same time manage the situation to make sure that there is less conflict, but at the same time the organization work properly and deliver high-quality services. Yeah, your research suggests that uh, there is a very positive uh, correlation between the higher representation of women in the boardroom and the effectiveness. And uh, things like more investors arrive, uh, a greater sympathy for the stakeholders also is, is shown, and, and that women bring uh, a lot of positive behavioral evolutions, that there's more benevolence, they are less traditional, uh, less obsessed with security, more universal. So these positives do give a bottom line that seems to translate as a healthier uh, atmosphere to work in and a more effective and efficient organization in, in healthcare centers. One of the things that I feel, but I, I definitely need to go back there to actually observe it better, is the fact that in some areas of DRC, they are affected with ethnical conflict. And one of my guess is that female-led uh, health center will be less concerned about those type of ethnicity and therefore care for whoever comes to the health center instead of male-led uh, 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 male health centers, which will definitely maybe show a little bit more of bias in terms of uh, ethnical uh, differences among people. But I, I do not have the data to actually assess it yet. Uh, but I, that's that's one of my feelings uh, at the moment. Now, your research, as you said uh, earlier, aims to go beyond the, the RDC. Uh, for example, you have a project I'd like to talk about uh, with uh, Leandro Pongelupe, who's a professor and academic at Wharton School in Pennsylvania University. And that project focuses on your native Cameroon. You're looking at on healthcare uh, there too, and, and these sort of uh, health vouchers programs that have been implemented there. Give us a a, a brief outline on what that research yeah. has shown you. Actually, when it comes to aid uh, in terms of healthcare, there are two main mechanisms. There is what we call demand side a mechanism where you actually boost the population to go and ask more of, of healthcare services. So it is to encourage them to go to the hospital, to encourage them to by reducing the price or by giving, in the case of Cameroon, those vouchers where they actually pay less when they arrive at the health center. Or you have the supply side mechanism where they act you actually work with the supplier of healthcare services, so the hospital, the health facility, 
and make sure that you improve services in terms of quality and quantity. The DRC project focuses on the supply side, but this project in Cameroon is actually, the key question is, which matter most? Is it the supply side, meaning the fact that you deliver high quality services? Or is it the demand side, the fact that you, you are able to make sure that the entire population goes frequently to the hospital? And the Cameroon setting is really interesting because there are two projects completely separated and they cover different parts of the country where some part is only subject to the supply side mechanism. Meanwhile, other part are, are subject only to the demand side and some part are subject to the two of them at the same time. So it gives this very interesting uh, 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 setting where I can actually look at the effect of the demand, the, the, the supply and both of them and be able to compare it. Yeah. It underlines, uh, and he said, Fangwe, the uh, incredible importance that needs to be put on the diversity of cultures within Africa and within specific countries where uh, your native Cameroon has different regional forces and cultures which have to be accepted and integrated into managerial practices, uh, I'm sure. Well, there's such a wealth of research that you're involved in. Uh, we haven't got time to uh, mention the uh, workforce diversity um, in Cameroon or the research on water supply, sanitation and hygiene in healthcare, uh, as well as uh, a paper that you, you've presented on hybrid organizations and purposefulness. Uh, we don't have time, but uh, it just is indicative of uh, how many projects and how many of these research ideas that you're juggling at the same time. How do you find the time to do all this? Actually, I wish I would be able to do more because there's much more to do uh, to better understand how to help Africa develop, but also how to attain the SDG uh, in the shortest possible time. And what I do is basically that I'm, I think I'm really passionate about what I'm doing. And I, from this first project, I really uh, had the opportunity to see that my research matter and I'm able to have a significant effect and impact on how people think and how policy are developed. Because one of the key takeaways of this project is that I have been invited by the Ministry of Health in DRC to actually not only present my paper, but hopefully be able to uh, develop different programs there as well. When will that be? Normally it will be in July or the end of this, the summer of this year. And because of that, it gave me much more uh, incentive and momentum to actually go and do the other research that I have and, and make sure that as much as possible is done to, to put uh, Africa research forward and, and to be able to uh, better serve the population there. Yeah. Well, unfortunately for us here at HEC Paris, but fortunately for McGill University, you're actually moving to Canada and you're going to continue your research activities over there from September of 2023. It's our loss. It's their gain. Before, you will be spending a few more months here at the Society and Organizations Center doing some research. Tell us about that. Yeah, uh, I'm actually working with a very bright group of people at S know where uh, we try to investigate how sustainability issues are thought and research at Ashesi. We try to do a mapping of what is currently offered in terms of teaching 
related to sustainability, both in the MBA, the Grand École program, and also look at the different faculty members and how much do they investigate those type of matters in their different field of expertise, finance, accounting, and how SNO as a, an institute from the from HSA Paris can actually help them uh, and, and bring much more resources to them in order to make sure that they, they, they deliver high-quality teaching and research. Yeah. Of course, final uh, word, you will be leaving physically, but I imagine collaborations in the research dimension of your work uh, will continue with HEC Paris. Yes, yes. Uh, for example, I have a paper, an ongoing project with Bertrand that will continue. And, and I also wish that I will be able to continue working with Marie on a similar project that we have on DSC as well. And yeah, hopefully I will be able to work with uh, Rodolphe Durand as well on different projects because I have been in touch with him for a long period of time. So I'm, I'm more than open to, to much more collaboration with HSA faculty members. We're very happy to hear it. Dr. Aniset Fangwa, it's been a real pleasure exchanging with you. Thank you very much, Danielle. That's, that's, uh, it's very nice of you. And thank you very much for those six years where we have been chatting all over all dinner and different times and events. So thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. PhD graduate Anise Fangwa aiming to put his research at the service of what he calls a just, diverse, inclusive and humane world. To find out more about his work and approach, check out the article on our Knowledge at HEC website. And to get insights into the school's other research, why not subscribe to our monthly newsletter? There you also get news analysis from our faculty members who explore the impact their research is having on social, economic and societal issues that touch us all. Well, that's it for this month. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to drop them off at browned, in one word, at hec.fr. That's browned at hec.fr. Till next time, goodbye. <laughs>